Opinions expressed on ACB Media are those of the content creators and should not be assumed to reflect product endorsements or the views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. This is Sunday Edition with Anthony Corona. Every week here on ACB Media One, that's American Council of the Blind, Media One, and soon after on all your major podcast catchers. Each week, we'll dive into the news, human interest, and discussions about the issues surrounding all of us in and out of the American Council of the Blind community. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Sunday Edition. I'm your host, Anthony Corona, and I am here as always with executive producer extraordinaire, Bryn Lee. Hey, Bryn. Good morning. Good afternoon uh, or good evening. How tired are you? <laughs> I am so tired. <laughs> <laughs> but your sister had a great birthday. Yeah, she did. I was uh, in Arizona, um, got, got there Wednesday, uh, slept for nine hours in the uh, airport in Las Vegas on the way there. Uh, and then just ran around town with my sister for three days straight. So <laughs> didn't get a lot of sleep, but we had a lot of fun. Well, I am so glad that you were able to make it back for Sunday edition. And Me too. being able to sleep in an airport, I think, is a talent. So good for you for having that talent. <laughs> Thank you. I can't sleep anywhere but in a quiet, completely quiet, completely dark room, preferably my own bed. Mm-hmm. Oh. All right. So um, handling the hosting duties today is Marianne. Thank you so much for being here, Marianne. Thank you. Good to be here. And connecting us over in Clubhouse is Herbie, the extraordinary Herbie. And so those of you in Clubhouse later on when it's audience participation time, let Herbie know and he will let us know. Um, I want to start this, uh, this show for a moment with a moment of silence for Rob Hill. Some of you know that we lost Rob earlier this week. And today at 5 p.m. Eastern, there'll be a listening memory session for Rob. You can check your ACB um, conversation and leadership list for the invite to that. So let's just uh, take a moment of silence. All right. And hopefully um, you guys will be there later on. I am really, really thrilled. This is the very first time in the almost four years that we've been doing Sunday Edition that I am sitting here with my guest here in person. And the reason that is, is because we're going to be talking about the revolutionary new Cadence tablet, his company, his journey through accessibility. Um, we're going to get to know him a little bit. I am here with Dave Schleppenbach. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Sunday Edition. Thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Um, for a little bit later on, when the conversation turns to the actual technicalities of it, I invited back friend to Sunday edition and personal friend, Mr. Mike Tindell, because he can answer all or ask all of those questions that I, as someone, most of you know, who listen to the show regularly, I am a very, very, I'm a baby in my Braille journey. So I wanted to have an expert. Spoiler alert, I did reach out to Kim, uh, Kim Charlson. Uh, she is enjoying an audio describe play and we'll send in any questions that she has for Dave via email. So Dave, um, first off, welcome to Miami and thank you for bringing the tablet, but let's get to know you a little bit. Um, can you tell us a little about yourself, where you're from, a little bit about your life be before we get into talking technicalities? Well, for sure. Yeah, I uh, was actually born in Florida, 
uh, as was my wife. We both moved away when we were younger. I grew up in a rural farming community in the Midwest. And actually, at one point when I was in undergraduate college, I was in the seminary program studying to be a Franciscan friar. But as uh, life happens, I kind of went a different direction, as we like to say. Uh, ended up going to graduate school at Purdue University, where I studied chemical physics. And it was there that I sort of tripped accidentally into the field of assistive technology and helping people with visual impairment. Now, um, I came across, I was, you know, I'm part of a lot of the groups on Facebook and various other message boards and things. And I came across a bunch of conversations about this Cadence tablet thing. Me being uh, new in my journey, I thought, oh, didn't I see that at, at, um, at the convention this year? And it turns out, no, I did not. Um, but one of your strongest promoters is your daughter, and we got into conversation, and that brought us to this interview today. So shout out to Sarah. Hopefully you're listening, and thank you so much for helping me put this together. Um, tell us a bit, little bit about your lovely family. Well, my wife and I, believe it or not, we have a very large family. We have uh, 24 children total, 17 girls and seven boys, and that's a, a blended family. So I, I had 15, and, and she had nine. Um, one of the great things that I've really enjoyed over the past several businesses that I've done is I've had some of my children work with me in those businesses. And in fact, Sarah and a number of my other children work with me. Uh, Sarah's helped to do content. And as I discovered, uh, kind of accidentally helped with social media, because I had no idea that she had even made those posts. And I have a, a, a couple of other daughters, Hope and, and Cassidy, that work at the factory to actually make the Cadence Braille tablet. And, uh, you know, one of the one of the greatest things that I've seen uh, in all the projects I've done, but especially this one with tactile engineering is just the, the team that's come together of people that are willing to put their effort and time and devote their life and doing this project that we believe can change the world. It's really humbling and rewarding that even some of my own children have decided to help with this. Now, I'm and just curious, are any of those children twins? We have one set of twins, <laughs> only one. Okay, I just had to ask. Fraternal or identical? <laughs> they're identical, actually. They're they're mirror twins. So oh, one is left-handed, one's right-handed. Their hair parts <laughs> on opposite sides. So it's kind of interesting. Wow. That must have been fun. So you know, I think it's pretty pretty apropos. Um, October is you know a lot of different awarenesses surrounding disability. Um, so I think it's great that that we're going to talk a little bit about your journey. Um, you shared with me how you really got into, you know, into accessibility and, and um, you started out by teaching. That's right. So I was at Purdue University and I was teaching chemistry, physics, mathematics, calculus, um, all sorts of advanced topics, biology. And I had been assigned three blind freshmen to work with, all three uh, going to college in Indiana and all three pursuing science degrees. And I had never worked with teaching science to someone who was blind or visually impaired before. So it was really something at first I thought, well, surely there's all these resources. I'll just find something that's out there and adapt it to utilize for our curriculum. And I have to point out, Purdue is a school that specializes in science and engineering. It's a very difficult school. Our pass rate in our freshman chemistry class was in the 40% range. Wow. So this is really tough material. And with these three blind students, I remember thinking, wow, this is really going to be a challenge. 
Well, lo and behold, we went to do our research, and this is back in the 1990s, and there really wasn't much available to teach things like quantum mechanics, you know, to someone who is uh, visually impaired. We had to invent a lot of things. So we started a program at Purdue called the Visions Lab, which came up with concepts and solutions to teach math and science, which are very visual subjects to people with visual impairments. And then that led into entrepreneurism. So the, the president of the university at the time actually approached me and said, hey, we think we might you might be a good candidate for our entrepreneur program, which was brand new at the time. Now, nowadays, you know, many universities do this tech transfer and, and entrepreneurism thing. I remember thinking, how hard could this be? Little did I know. <laughs> <laughs> Famous last words. Exactly. So from that, I, I became a serial entrepreneur, which sounds an awful lot worse than it is. I, I might know where some of the bodies are anyway. But uh, I did start a previous company, uh, GH, that was a very large producer of paper, braille, and tactile graphics, large print, uh, and other types of electronic formats. We did, we did uh, accessibility in general through media. And that was really eye-opening and, and interesting. We were able to serve an awful lot of people around the world. But unfortunately, what I learned is you, you just can't make enough paper to service everybody. It's impossible. I, I had people overseas that would receive their Braille that we would send to them on a boat. You know, it was not a quick process. So one of the things that struck me all during this time was there must be a better way to do this. And as far back as the 1990s, when I was at Purdue, I had worked on the idea of some sort of Braille tablet computer. In fact, filed my first patents in the 1990s. So I've been working on this for almost 30 years, never really gave up. And one thing led to another, and that ended up to where we, we came with tactile engineering today. Well, I want to, I want to take a step back and ask a funny question. What was the most um, challenging, the most challenging project to represent for, you know, the blind students as far as, you know, putting either a graphical forum or, or trying to explain, you know, a quantum neutron proton, you know, interaction. What, what was the most challenging thing you well, that I one, remember. yeah, I can I can answer that one pretty easily because I'll never forget this project. I, we had a, a young man, um, one of those three students I mentioned. Now, I have to preface this by saying the, the outcome first. So of those three students, two went on to get PhDs in chemistry, one from Cambridge, and the third got multiple master's degrees, all in technical nice. fields. Amazing accomplishment. I'm so proud of the three of them. And in fact, I've, I've been in touch with all three of them in varying degrees still to this day. So somehow, in spite of my teaching, they managed to accomplish greatness. But uh, we had one of those students who was taking a graduate level course in quantum mechanics, which was my specialty. So we got asked by his university to produce the, his book in Braille. And I don't know, you know, how familiar all of your listeners are with paper Braille books. Some I'm sure are very, but, you know, a Bible could take up an entire wall, yeah, an entire bookshelf. This quantum mechanics book, I think, was something like 60 volumes of Braille. And some of the equations in that book would be multiple pages. Now, imagine trying to read that and remember the beginning of the equation by the time you're four pages later to the end of the equation, I, I have no idea how he did it, but he was a remarkable individual and he managed to not only pass that course, but to get his PhD. Wow. I wonder where that book is right now. 
actually he gave me a couple volumes of it to keep at our office the last time i saw him as kind of a souvenir so <laughs> i have a couple volumes buried in the closet somewhere back at the office all right so um during your tenure with gh um you picked or you know were pecking away at the tablet how did your you know idea and prototypes become the cadence well that's a real long journey and sometimes i forget how long it was i i've tried so many different ideas over the years of different technologies really cutting edge um, we I read a lot of journal articles and you know gone to lots of universities to look at different technologies that were evolving the cadence came about with actually sort of an accidental uh, friendship. So I had a couple of friends who were also entrepreneurs in our town of Lafayette, Indiana. And uh, I helped them a little bit with their business, which was manufacturing outdoor laser tag equipment, mm. a real fun concept. And this is a little bit different than what you think of as a laser tag when you go to an amusement park or something. These are designed to be played outdoors in the direct sunlight. And you may not think it, but it's a very high tech product. What's interesting is actually it's an extremely high tech product that is manufactured in fairly low volumes, but it, but with very intricate parts and circuitry and all sorts of control elements. So that concept of high tech, low volume manufacturing was already something that we had sort of experimented with. We ended up doing another project, which was to create uh, electronic music instruments that were compatible with the video game Rock Band. You might remember that fan. Mm -hmm. And we actually sold out the entire worldwide supply of Pearl bass pedals for drums for two years because everyone was buying them to play rock band and learn how to play the drums. So we had a lot of experience in making these tech interventions. And I approached them with my idea about the Cadence tablet and said, hey, you know, maybe we could work on this together. And like pretty much everyone I've ever presented this idea to the first reaction I got was you're crazy right <laughs> no one in their right mind would attempt this but I knew that if I planted that seed these are two really smart engineers that they would uh, they wouldn't let it go and so they started thinking about it we started talking about it we ended up forming tactile engineering in 2013 filed our our first few patents had a couple more partners come to work with us over the years that worked with me on previous ventures one thing led to another, and we ended up sort of stumbling into the into the current uh, company of tactile engineering and the Cadence tablet. And one other just kind of interesting or amusing thing, you learn a lot as an entrepreneur. When we first started, I thought that we would come up with the basic R&D, and we would license that to someone else, and they would make it. You know, um, I mean, who would want to try to make something this complicated? And just to give our listeners an idea... Each of these devices has 3,500 parts in them. They're extremely complex devices. So we worked with some different groups to try to license the tech. And inevitably, everybody kept coming back to us and saying, this is way too complicated. Can you just make the final product? And then we'll help you to distribute it. So reluctantly, we built a high-tech robotic assembly factory in Indiana. We created an entire supply chain all in the United States of America. So this is a made in USA product. And we just went through the extreme gymnastics of fundraising and, and building all this to get to the point we're at now, which is where I can actually show up in Miami, Florida with tablets, show them to somebody and hopefully change their life. 
I gotta ask, have you been given a key to the city yet? <laughs> no, no keys to the city. Although I am proud to say that we do employ now about 30 people, a number of whom have visual impairments in our local community. And and then if you if you look at the jobs that have been created in, in Indiana with our supply chain, we're, we're at several hundred people really whose lives have been impacted on making this product. And that's not counting, of course, the consumers who who can benefit from it. So it's it's really been a an awesome and humbling journey and and I hope to take it even further. It would um you know I would be uh, spanked upside the back of the head with a wooden spoon if I didn't ask do you have um blind low vision or other disabled employees in the company? We do indeed and in fact I really like to illustrate points with stories. So I have a young man um I think about a lot who I like to talk about and tell stories because he's been such a tremendous inspiration to me. So this young man Adam uh, was an individual that had lost his vision while he was in his teens. He had a progressive vision condition, and so he had relied on his existing vision as long as he could. But then by the time his vision had deteriorated, you know, he was older. And as you might know from your own journey, learning Braille when you're older instead of as a young child is difficult. Amen. Right? Mm-hmm. So he had um, had some tough times in life, just like any of us would. You know, he'd had some ups and downs. He'd had some times when he was very depressed and discouraged and had thought maybe he, you know, would be a shut-in or stay at home and not not really be able to work or contribute. So he came uh, to our organization and just started hanging around, really, is the best way I can say it. And I watched him really get inspired. He started working with the cadence, learning his Braille skills. And in just a period of about a year, he's gone from a young man that, you know, I thought seemed pretty down on his luck and, and, and discouraged to one of the most determined people I've known. And he's now our lead quality control technician. It's an amazing story. And I think to myself, you know, that if Adam could do this, anyone can. He's, he's really inspiring. And that's what our goal is, is to reach all of those people one of the things that really struck me over the decades I've been in this industry, there aren't a lot of products for people who don't know Braille, yeah. but might want to learn. And that seems wrong to me. We'd like to change that. Well, we're going to get into the tablet in a few minutes, but um, let's get into the model itself. Your, uh, the company and, and, you know, and your vision is to put these in, in the hands of as many, if not all blind students that you, you know, that you possibly can put them into. And your business model is a little different than one might expect because, you know, we all know the prices of Braille devices, Braille displays, Braille computers. Um, so tell us a little bit about how, you know, the vision and the, you know, the output um, of the company and the direction you're going in. Sure. So I, I've been uh, told sometimes by people, maybe I'm not the greatest businessman because my first thought whenever I do anything in assistive technology is how can I get this to people at the lowest cost or possibly even free? And the reason for that is I, I view it as sort of a stepping stone. If we get people with visual impairments to have the right type of equipment, the right support, then there's no limit to the potential they can reach. And that will pay society back in spades. An argument I often use with politicians is that we have many visually impaired people who are unemployed. It's a very high unemployment rate in that demographic. And so those individuals generally receive some social benefit programs from the government, and they may be largely shut in, but they want to work. They want the same opportunities as anyone else. 
if we take those people, and even if it costs a little bit of money, we fund that workforce development, we train them in new skills, and we get them working, that program pays for itself instantly. It's just a no-brainer. It's taking a group of people, a significant percentage of the population, and, and entering them into the workforce, some of whom could be doing technical jobs, which we have a massive shortage of. So even though my first argument starts with it's the right thing to do, when I talk to politicians, I often talk about the economics and I get a lot of nodding heads and people saying, well, that makes an awful lot of sense. And typically when a state or a, a country invests in workforce, it may take five to 10 years to pay itself back. It's evidence, yeah. Right. This is something that can pay itself back in the first year. And, and I'll give you an example. We have a program through a company called Nova Coast, which offers IT and cybersecurity training and a second group called Apex, which offers job placement and support for people with visual impairments. So the concept here is very simple. We have a package we could go to a state, let's say Department of Vocal Rehabilitation with and say, we have some equipment, this Cadence platform that enables you to get a certificate in cybersecurity or IT. Some of these courses are as short as eight weeks. And at the end of that time, we have a placement program to place you working remotely with a Fortune 500 company or a government agency. You might be making $25, $30 an hour to start processing tickets, and then all the way up into hundreds of dollars an hour. It's a tremendous opportunity. And these companies are desperate for employees, absolutely willing to hire people with disabilities in those positions. So that's been our, our thought, is let's see if we can't come up with a way to, to get these to people as, as, as low as a cost as we can. So I know we're going to get asked this later on, so I'll just do it now. Is that an on-site program, or are you able to um, have you know students across the country go through that? Yeah, everything is remote. So the idea is that you learn remotely, and then you get your job and work remotely. So one of the there are three barriers to employment for all people. One is affordable housing, which we can't really do much about with our project. The second is affordable child care. Again, that's a little bit outside the scope. But the third one is affordable transportation, mm. which is a huge barrier for visually impaired people because they have to rely on public transportation or things like Uber. And so our thought is if we can have them work remotely in tech jobs, there is no transportation. <laughs> Sorry, I had to clap for that because it is, you know, it's not only just the expense of it, it's having to plan, you know, your days, days in advance to make sure you have everything on getting to work on time, getting to make sure. So God bless. Thank you for that. Um, let's transition a little bit and we're working our way towards the tablet itself. But um, first and foremost, I had about an hour and a half to play with it with uh, with Gabriel as well. Um, you know, and I, I um, <laughs> for the first time, felt a Braille spreadsheet. Um, we played Connect Four and a sort of uh, Braille tennis game. Um, we, I <laughs> felt a graphic representation of Dave's head, uh, <laughs> as well as some drawings and a uh, spoiler alert, Dave is not an artist. Thank God he's in tech, <laughs> but, um, you know, I really thought when I started, you know, you sent me some material to go through. I really thought that I was looking, you know, that I would be learning about another Braille device that is now moving into tactile graphics, which there are some other devices that are moving in that way as well. But this is not just a device. You built a whole operating system. So tell us about the Cadence world. So that's a great question. Um, we, we designed what we call a Cadence ecosystem, 
or platform. And we wanted to be very thoughtful about this. So all of those lessons we learned over the past few decades of, of working with people, you know, I, I believe the most important thing you can do with any sort of new tech intervention is listen. So we spent an awful lot of time listening to people to try to understand what do they really want to do. And it really boils down to three things. People want to help in their work. They want to help in their learning. And they want to help work in their life. They want improvements in their social connections uh, with other people. So we designed the Cadence ecosystem to support that. And there are three components. The first is the actual gear, the, the tablet itself and the, and the hardware. The second is our software and content environment. And we have rich partnerships with providers like NASA, for example, if you're interested in math and science. But we're making partnerships in all areas, mainstream entertainment, gaming, and educational publishing, just for some examples. So we're providing that content to you through the operating system, the apps, and the books, and so forth that are available. And then the third component is that support component. And I think this gets overlooked by so many projects in assistive technology. To my mind, that support is the most important piece. So we have a couple of commitments that we've made. The first is that when we provide these, no matter what happens, if there's a problem, we're going to replace it and we're going to fix it for you. You spill your Coke on it or you drop it off the second story window, we'll get you a new one. We're committed to supporting those people who are willing to take a plunge with us with a new technology. But the second is that we have people that we partner with to do that support. We've been working on this per state. So we have existing agencies and um, nonprofits who already work with visually impaired people who are trusted partners. We work with them to help roll this out and to bring that service. We'll also embed employees at the facility. So for example, if we do work at a school, we'll have an employee embedded right next to the teacher until that teacher feels comfortable that they can work with the student all along by themselves. I think without those three components, a project is really sort of doomed to failure or at least not to be adopted as widely as it can be. So we've, we've taken that philosophy in every aspect of the cadence. So forgive me for the really bad pun, but it's it's sort of a cradle to grave approach. Exactly. From the moment someone comes into the ecosystem, they're supported all the way through, both on the technical end of things and also on the learning and support side of things. That's exactly right. And how this evolved in my mind, you know, I I've had the privilege of working now with just thousands and thousands of people with visual impairments, and when you get to know these individual people. You meet these people, you learn their stories, it touches your heart, and you think about these people as you design the system that you're designing. I have so many stories I could tell that just have changed my life forever, and I, I think if everyone had heard these, if we communicated with society as a whole, and they understand the impact that this makes, it would touch everyone's heart. I'll just share one. There's, there's a young man in a very rural area in Alabama Remarkable individual is a 14-year-old boy named Carson. Carson is a cancer survivor. During his cancer journey, he lost his vision and partial hearing and ended up, his mother quit her job to stay at home to help him succeed in life. His dad's a firefighter. These are just normal folks, you know, facing extraordinary problems. And I'm one of Carson's how to make it all work, how to make it all work. Yeah. Anyone that has a child or, you know, relatives can and appreciate the difficulty of, of such a journey, especially at such a young age. Carson is one of the most uplifting people I've ever met. 
He's always got a positive attitude. He is such a bright person. He's very talented. So he told me when I first met him that he wanted to be a video game designer someday. That was his passion. So we gave him a cadence system. And in fact, I had just gotten home after driving back from Alabama the next day. His dad sent me a video text, and it was a video of Carson setting the record in our Frogger game of level 46. Stayed <laughs> I up made all it three night. levels. Right. <laughs> Stayed up all night playing it. Uh, but uh, since then, I've been able to meet and work with him a number of times. And uh, he really is excited about learning this field of programming and tech and, and getting into this area. And you can imagine the joy for his parents to see your child laugh and smile after such a long and difficult journey. You can't put a price tag on that. And the excitement of knowing, you know what, the door is not locked. The door is it not just locked. got reopened for me. Yeah. You know, a lot of my, a lot of our listeners know um, a good deal about my journey. Um, but my Braille journey started about four years ago. Well, I should say started and ended very, very quickly about four years ago. Um, emotionally, I wasn't ready yet. Um, but had I, had I had this tablet, I think it would have been um, a completely different journey. There's a lot of learning um, uh, built into the tablet and the ecosystem. One of the things I was so excited about before you got here was the fact that there's large and jumbo braille um, and tactile representations of the actual physical letters, what they look like, you match it to the braille, et cetera. So tell us a little bit about, you know, day one and, you know, picking up the tablet if you've never even really experienced braille and then being able to get to the point where you're writing and reading braille. Well, that's a really great point because this was very intentful in our design. We really wanted to approach people that had struggled with learning braille and try to help them. So sort of a thought about how Braille is, is learned now, generally, and it depends, of course, on your state and your area, but you have to go to a special location to meet with a special teacher, mm -hmm. or possibly the teacher will come to you, but that's harder because itinerant teachers are, are very uh, spread thin. Once you have the special location, you're given a piece of paper and you go through some lessons with help. But that paper is kind of a one-size-fits-all approach. Yeah. If your finger sensitivity isn't the best, let's say you had diabetes, for example, that was the cause of your vision condition, then you're going to struggle, especially if you're an older adult and you're just coming to learning this after dealing with all the other things that are associated with vision loss, like orientation and mobility. One of the things that I noticed when I was watching this process is that the ownership of the teaching was on the teacher, not the student. And I feel very important that it, you have to give agency to an individual and let them mm -hmm. take ownership. I've seen this time and again with kids I've worked with. When that child or that adult takes ownership of what they're doing, you're then kind of just standing in the room when it happens, facilitating. But they decide, you know what, I am going to do this. Emotionally, I've made the commitment. I can do it. So we designed the cadence as a pocket-sized device. It travels with you. When you're standing in line for 15 minutes, you take it out and practice your letters. When you're waiting for the bus or riding the bus, you take it out and you practice your words. When you're sitting in bed watching TV, you take it out and you read a little bit. You do that for 15 minutes every day. You don't have to go to a special place. You don't need a special teacher. This hmm. is all designed for remote learning and self-directed study. 
at the end of that time, it's a miracle how fast you can progress with Braille. And I've seen it now with enough visually impaired people to know, hey, I think we're on to something here. Never is it going to replace paper. It's never going to replace special teachers, but it can really help facilitate and get people to take ownership of this so that they decide, I am going to learn. And then all these doors open up, employment, learning, connections in society. It's it's just miraculous to watch. So by accident or design, um, you know, this is a, a product that would do very well for folks like me who lose sight midlife, whether it be, you know, progressively, or in my case, it was within the space of four days. Um, and for those of us, and we talk a lot about that in the American Council of the Blind, those that are aging into blindness and have, you know, other comorbidities and, and may have neuropathy and fingers and things. So, you know, having the, the learning um, ecosystem right within the ecosystem and the availability to match it to what we remember as our physical letters and being able to change the dot sizes um, is, an, is, is extraordinary. Um, have you had much experience with working with the tablet with, you know, those that are aging into blind and low vision? Yes, actually, we, we intentionally sought out sort of three populations. The first would be children um, with the idea of being early intervention would be key for right. those demographic. The second would be sort of your working age adults, people who are going through rehabilitation. We have a lot of uh, disabled veterans that we've worked with, for example, that lost their vision um, due to a, you know combat or accident. And then the third would be that aging population where you are dealing with things like neuropathy. You have people that aren't as computer savvy. Mm -hmm. So we've tried to really take a look at helping all of those. And there are some tricks that we can do. Um, we call them anchors. One of them is giving you an anchor to raised print. If you're uh, new to vision loss, you remember your print letters. You start with those. They're very large. They're easy to feel. That triggers your memory. And then you can kind of wean your way over to Braille. If you are blind and had never seen a print letter, it's useful for you to know these because it helps you to integrate and talk to other people who communicate using <clears throat> traditional print letters. Then on the flip side of the coin, if you have sensitivity issues, we can actually change the size of the Braille on the fly. It's electronic, which is a little bit different than trying to pre-print different sizes on a piece of paper. So for example, you can see that letter A in what we call jumbo, which you saw with many dots represent one Braille dot. So they're gigantic Braille dots. Then you can shrink that down to large size where there's four Braille dots per dot and the spacing is a little lot wider. Then you go down to standard Braille and you can change the spacing of that standard Braille. You can double space the lines, you can double space the characters until eventually you get to a point where you're just reading normally spaced Braille per the paper specification. And we worked very hard on that. We worked hard on the feel of our Braille That's amazing. as close to paper as possible. So we followed the paper specifications to the T and a lot of electronic devices we discovered don't do that for various reasons that are technical. Um, and we just thought, gee, if we're trying to help augment paper, we want to be as close to paper as possible. So I would imagine, and, and um, did not ask this when we were going through, you know, the demo, so to speak, playing around with it, but for things, you know, for more of the technical and specialized things like spreadsheets or graphing and things, being able to switch to the larger, uh, to get the feel for what you're looking, you know, what you're reading, what you're figuring out, um, and then be able to switch back must, you know, must be very helpful. 
Exactly. We call it overview mode. Um, in fact, we have a, a young lady um, who is also in Alabama who lost her vision uh, as an older teen, but her dream was to become a graphic designer and do web page design. So she uses the Adobe product suite. You might have heard of Photoshop, Illustrator, mm -hmm. and so forth. Obviously very challenging if you're visually impaired. So she uses this overview mode, or we call it screen mirror mode, on the Cadence system to get a view for the layout of the individual elements of that graphic or web page. Okay, I see in the upper left is this component, I can feel it. In the bottom right is this component, I can feel it. Then I can zoom in and kind of go into fine detail mode and actually read the Braille text that represents the print text that's in that particular element. So that that concept is exactly the thought that we had behind this is the zooming, the, the flexibility. And in the case of your spreadsheet, you know, spreadsheets are sort of overwhelming. Okay. If you try to do that on a piece of paper, you know, maybe you're using stair-step mode as a Braille table or something, and it's just really not legible for complex tables and charts. This gives you a way to sort of experience it in the way that you want to. You have total control over that output. And so how much does the user have to input? Um, the ecosystem does most of the translation itself. That's right. We lean heavily on AI and some existing tools uh, that are already out there in the community. So the first thing that's important is we are compatible with existing third-party assistive technology. So screen readers that you might have worked with, screen enlargers, those types of things, we, we already are compatible with that. So if you want to use VoiceOver or um, NVDA or JAWS or whatever, then then you can use it like a conventional display. But then for these extra features, you you launch our app, which is Cadence OS. And inside that app, then you have the ability to really leverage the computer to do some more advanced things. So in the case of that spreadsheet viewer, we take the spreadsheet format that the common products like Excel output, open that up and do the Braille translation um, in whatever language you have set to and so forth in real time. And so each cell then is composed of the Braille representation of whatever the print was in that particular cell. And, and I will say, um, you know, when it brings up the graphics, it is truly, you feel it under your fingers and you can almost, as it's, as it's populating, you can almost get an idea of what's coming. Um, it's it's absolutely amazing. So let's take a bunch of step back steps back, and then I'm going to turn it over to Mike to to get into the you know the nitty gritty of technicalities. But let's give everybody an overview of what it actually looks like, and then the fun part when you start putting them together to build a, you know a super tablet. So let's take it on its face and and describe it for folks. Very good. So what we have here is um, the individual Cadence tablet is really a pocket-sized device. So it's about the same size, shape, and weight as an iPhone. Uh, in fact, I, I have one of the larger iPhones, and I think it's a little bit bigger than the Cadence tablet. It has 384 dots on the surface, which is the top surface that you feel. That composes four lines of 12-cell Braille, eight dots per cell, which is kind of the computer Braille standard. So if you're reading literary Braille, it sort of skips the dot seven and eight. So you have normal Braille spacing. So the spacing is normal Braille cell to cell and normal cell, uh, normal spacing line to line. Then there are control buttons on each device. So there's a directional pad, sort of like a TV remote pad. There are Perkins keys to type in your Braille characters using six key entry. Uh, dot seven and eight are used for 
different things like uh, line feed or or uh, delete. And then there are some buttons where your thumbs would normally rest on a Perkins type Braille display where you've got some buttons that you can push with your thumb. But that's about it. We've tried to minimize the number of um, features to make it fairly easy to learn and use. They connect by Bluetooth to a host device, which could be a tablet, a phone, or a computer. So you can start with one cadence, and that's great for young children or for beginning learners, just practicing things like your letters. You can upgrade to two. The image will just simply span across. So if you're reading Braille text, it'll just suddenly become a 24 cell by four line display. If you're looking at a graphic, like we looked at the picture of your dog, you can run that dog across um, left and right. <laughs> If the dog big or small. And then if you get into very technical fields, like many of the kids I work with do in, in the NASA content, you can go to a quartet, which is four, and that'll give you a very large surface area to do maps or complex graphics and charts and mathematics and things like that. All right. So you said it is um it's Bluetooth technology. Um can you switch from you know phone to computer? How hard is it to, you know, use to switch your host? Yeah, we've designed it to be as seamless as possible. So it works really similar to how you would use, you know, Bluetooth keyboard or mouse or Bluetooth speaker, something like that. Uh, so within Cadence OS, there are some connectivity software that you can use that is friendly for assistive technology or for blind users. And then, of course, you can connect it to a computer through Bluetooth in the standard way you connect any Bluetooth device. So if you're using, let's say you're using the the um the four um unit model, uh, and you want to just pick up and and go, uh, you, can you just grab one of them and leave and and be able to take quick notes and and read quickly? That's you know, right. Bullet points. Yeah, you can switch on the fly in the software between one, uh, two, or four. So what you would do in that case is simply set it to solo mode, take your unit and go. Maybe take your notes or or do your quick thing at the meeting come back and dock in, so to speak, at your desktop, and then upgrade to the two or four. And in, in our initial um, deployments, we're doing a lot of that. We have some people that have one, some that have two, some that have four, and we're finding different use cases depending on the subject matter or whatever it is that the, the person's unique demographics are. So when you connect these four tablets, um, you have two of them side by side, and then the other two, if I remember correctly, they connect above the first two. Is that correct? That's correct. So there's a left and a right cadence. Um, so if you just have one, you could choose maybe I'm left-handed or right-handed. It sort of adapts to that. We have actually some users that only have one hand, so yeah. we sort of designed it to be flexible to that need. And then when you go up to the four, you take two lefts and two rights and arrange them into that pattern and the software gives you the ability to control which of display shows which part of the image so in a quartet or four mode you might set top left top right bottom left bottom right and have a big image we also have a teacher mode where all four display the same content and that would be in the case of say a teacher in a classroom with four different students and they would want to be sending the same powerpoint or whatever to each of those students when I think about, you know, the journey that you've taken and the, the, the robotics factory that's building these devices, I mean, that is that is just incredible that, that you know, we have robots that are making these devices because they are so complex. Um, well, and I'm I appreciate not... you mentioning that, Mike. I, I, just to touch on that for a second. Um, sure. I, 
I kind of glossed over that part. <laughs> you did. <laughs> um, so this journey has really been an adventure. The first part of this was that we had to go and raise money, obviously, to do this. This has not been cheap. And, you know, my partners and I had, had put a lot of our own money and time into this. But you get to a point where you're starting <clears throat> to acquire millions of dollars of robotics and lasers. It's just something that can't be done by a person. So we actually went to the mainstream venture capital community and asked for funding to do this as a kind of traditional business investment. And I was really amazed and delighted by the response, which was that the investors said, this is really cool. We want to do this. This sounds fun. This is something we can tell our grandkids about, you know, <laughs> sure. doing this neat thing. It's sort of in the area of social entrepreneurism. So with that funding, which we very generously got help from Purdue University, we got help from the state of Indiana through Elevate Ventures and through a fund in Ohio called Queen City Angels, that's been essential to allow us to acquire this equipment. So we, we built a high-tech robotic assembly factory in Lafayette, which has robots and lasers that assemble these tiny components. I mentioned there were thousands of them per device. And the scale of the tolerances of the components we're assembling is on the order of microns. It's much smaller than a human hair. Yeah. So this is something that just can't be done by hand. And we felt it would be very important to get all of this mm -hmm. built up running and be mass producing before we really talked a lot about this in public because you know, there's been a lot of disappointment over the years where people have hoped for something new in the tech area for visually impaired people and it didn't come through. And a lot of people have sort of focused on marketing and then the actual product, you know, was an afterthought. We wanted to reverse that. So we put all of our effort and time very quietly into building this factory and perfecting the tech. And we're just now starting to tell people about it. And I know that, you know, when we think about multi-line Braille displays, a lot of companies have tried it in the past. And, um, you know, but but when I, I very briefly saw um, the tablet, I was able to, I, I partner with a company called Dream Vision. And we, um, we are the national distributors for the Handytech line of Braille displays in the U.S. But I also for a number of years, um, worked for the National Federation of the Blind and 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 had many conversations with with people like we're having today with with Dave. So um, you know, I, I thank Anthony for asking me to help out in this interview. And so I'm taking off my dream my dream vision group hat and just, you know, being here as an interviewer. And it when I think about, you know, what 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 you're doing is it's it's absolutely amazing. Now when we how much battery life can you expect on a tablet? Well, that's actually one of the really cool features of the cadence. We um, don't draw any power when the dots are up or down. We only draw power to move the dots. Oh, wow. So nice. it's incredibly power efficient. In wow. Fact, the, the Bluetooth draws far more, far more power than the display. Sure. So I left Indiana um, a week and a half ago, and I've been doing demos and, and meetings in Alabama and, and now here in Florida, I have yet to charge the devices just to give you an idea. And I think That's the last one was in the 80% range. They, they just we, last a we, long time. Are we charging USB-C? <laughs> uh, yes, we have a USB-C, which you can use to connect to your host device if you don't want to use Bluetooth. And our, our Bluetooth standard is actually the BLE standard, the Bluetooth Low Energy which is the more okay. modern standard. Sure. 
um, we have a very smart power supply so that it basically goes to sleep mode and saves power whenever it can. And I just want to touch on, Mike, you mentioned kind of the older single line displays and the sure. frustration of why why can't this be done in multiple lines. For your listeners that might not know, the older technology is sort of unchanged for the past several decades. It's based on something called a piezoelectric braille cell, which is really awesome. It's a cool invention, but it has some flaws. One of the flaws is that it's a very large device. It has long levers that move the pins up and down. And right. because of that, you physically cannot put more than two lines together because there's no room to do it for the device to for move. The device to move. Yeah. And even if you yeah. do two lines, it's a gigantic package just to do those two lines. So that's really the, the need was to develop a new type of Braille actuator technology. And that's what we did first back in 2013 is we invented and and built and patented a new actuator. And our actuator is actually the size of a Braille dot itself. So we can pack an arbitrary number of them together. So our, our Braille module, which consists of four Braille cells, 32 dots, is the size of four Braille cells. And in a cadence, we have 12 of those modules, which equals 48 cells total. But we could build really any arbitrary size. Uh, we decided to go with the portable modular approach because we're already at thousands of parts, very precisely fit together. The bigger you make it, the more stuff there is to break. And it, and if you have a modular approach, if one thing breaks, you just pop out a module and put a new one in and you're good to go. If you have just a very for, large tablet, something breaks, then you got nothing, right? Right. And just for the users out there, explain an actuator. That's what about, That's actually what's moving the pins. Is that correct? That's right. So an actuator pushes that little pin up and down and people often say, well, I don't understand this should be easy. Surely you just have the computer move the pins. I agree with you. But then when you look at how to move a pin at that small scale with enough force to resist the finger, right? Right. Suddenly physics starts to become a real challenge. <laughs> and if, if I didn't have all the background in chemistry and physics, I'm not sure I could have gotten this far. When we developed this, we felt it was essential that we do two things. One is that we build this small enough that we could space it with standard Braille spacing, which is very challenging. Absolutely. And two is you must be able to have your finger on the dot and the finger move and the dot move, mm -hmm. excuse me. So with your fingers on the dots, they will move under your fingers. And that's an essential component for the animation and the teaching that we do. And one of the other things that I remember just, you know, from when I briefly saw the tablet that I'd like to mention, um, other displays that are currently on the market that are, that are, um, you know, kind of like signage Braille. So the Braille is really, there's no way you could press it down even if you try. Yes. This device is much quieter from what I remember. Yes. Um, so, I can, I can speak to that. Absolutely. We really designed it thoughtfully. So there are two components here. One is a lot of Braille tech, the electronic Braille is like reading a sign. It's very fatiguing to the finger. So the Braille, there's no give to the dot. It's just sort of fixed. Right. Um, or there's too much give to the dot and you touch it and it just falls. And it you know, falls. Right. So we, we took a great care in building a dot that actually performs almost exactly like paper. And I we did a lot of experiments with this. So there's a slight give to the dot. So it's not fatiguing, but it will always pop back up under your finger right. if you push it down. 
So I'm sure that a lot of people are are in the room or kind of thinking, you know, if I have this device, um, is there any, what we call, if you think about back in the day of a Braille and speak or, you know, the, the current note takers that we have out there today, um, you know, I, many years ago, people would ask me the question, what do you use your note taker for? And even though, you know, I've traveled across the country and I teach all the note takers on the market, um, for me personally, my use is a pen and paper for me if I want to quickly write something down. Now, I do use Braille a lot with my computer with my iPhone. In fact, I was so dependent on Braille that early on in my career, I remember one day sitting at home and I had an 80 cell Braille display at work and I was typing on my computer at home and I wanted to read what I wrote. And I reached down and of course I'm at home. So there's no Braille under my finger. (laughs) And I'll never forget that. It's like, oh, there's no Braille here. I can't read this. And so after that, I did bring a Braille display home so I could work from home. But, you know, it's it's interesting how much that we rely on Braille every single day. And I just want to quickly say that for me, I've been totally blind from birth. But when I was learning Braille, um, my vision teacher, as um, Dave was talking earlier about the importance of knowing shapes, so I had these ginormous jumbo Braille letters, or I'm sorry, jumbo print letters that I could feel. And they would show me this is the letter A, this is the letter B, and then, you know, and then they would show me a Braille A and a Braille B. So I was able to learn the shapes of all print letters. And I think it's remarkable how that you've taken these tablets and you're showing print as well as Braille because For someone, as we've said, you know, like Anthony is a prime example who absolutely remembers what print letters looks like. So when he feels that letter A, he can certainly correlate it with that Braille letter A and it makes it 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 makes it so easy to use. But um, have you have you thought about allowing people to do things like create files or put two Cadence tablets together and like? you know, download a BRF book or something from Bookshare and read? Yes. So actually all of the above. Um, So first I'll start by saying there are really three physical things that you can do with the cadence. You can feel Braille. You can feel graphics and sometimes mixed with the Braille. And you can feel animation. In real time. I I really have to stress that because he was literally drawing and it was coming up on the tablet in real time. Exactly. So it's a little different than kind of the older school note takers, which were designed for specific purposes or were Braille centric. This is, I would say, what do you use your iPhone for? Well, I use it Mm -hmm. to order lunch. I use it to look up something on a website. I use it to take a note. I use it to call somebody. You can do all of those same type of things with a Cadence tablet, which is connected to that phone. It's designed to really be almost like a monitor would be an extension of a computer. Computer, right. It's the same concept. And a mouse, a monitor and a mouse. And a mouse, right. 
And then the second uh, component there is we we really believe in what you were saying there, Mike, about the the importance of anchoring or feeling objects and understanding how they relate. So we tell people the creativity is your only limit. Um, that sometimes intimidates people, right? That, well, I don't know what to do. <laughs> okay, we'll give you a few things to get you started. So we do have a BRF viewer that you can open BRF files. We have an EPUB reader so you can read um, books in EPUB or DAISY format. You know, we support a lot of common file types uh, so that you can open documents um, that you might be used to opening with other software, wow. all of that. And on, on our main menu, as I was showing Anthony, we we have graphics, we have multimedia, including a video player and something where I almost broke the device by showing Anthony a picture of myself in real time. <laughs> Never do that. <laughs> then we have uh, science tools, we have office productivity tools, but I would say the thing that everybody gets stuck on by far is the games because they're... Yeah. They're not only fun, but and they draw people together socially, but they're great learning tools for building your sensitivity. And I think, you know, as we think about people, whether it's students in education or adults learning Braille, um, you know, I, I I go back to and, and I'll just quickly say <clears throat> on the handy tech, on the on the help tech devices, we have a game on there called Braille Hunt. And you would think, oh, you know, I've been reading Braille for 35 years. And basically what you do is you 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 look at a letter and then you or a dot pattern, and then you run your fingers across this line of Braille. And when you find the 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 letter, you rest your finger on the letter. There's sensors under the cells, and so it finds the letter and it tells you if you're right or wrong. And you can think, oh, this is very easy to do. Not a, but it's amazing how that even me, I've been reading Braille for 35 years and I can read it very fast. I have to think, I mean, I can't just go and just bring my finger. I have to think about and go through and actually read to find the dot patterns because it's, it's harder than what you may think, you know? Mm. And I think, I think that, you know, having all this capability of the ways that, that, that students and people learning Braille can, can interact with the device. And then also having the, Jumbo Braille um, for people with retinopathy and that kind of thing. I was thinking about a friend of mine who, you know, is 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 has really been depressed because he can't read Braille anymore. He knows Braille, but he can't read it because of his retinopathy. And I'm wondering if having these bigger dots, you know, having multiple dots make a dot, in other words would he be able to read this Braille? And if he could, it would just, oh my gosh, it would be amazing. Well, that's exactly what we were going for. You know, the gamification that you mentioned, as they call it nowadays, is so important. <laughs> yes. You work with anybody <laughs> under the age of about 30 and they're just mm -hmm. games are part of their life. It's, it's sure. not a negative, it's a positive. And Absolutely. What, what we found is if we turn these learning things into games, people kind of accidentally get tricked into learning things. But <laughs> hey, as long as we get to the end result, and what you're right, you, you know, you may have a skill that you're very good at, but you've never actually tried something a little bit different. You start playing Braille Hunt, or in our case, maybe the, the speak and spell type game, or you play a game of uh, Frogger or table tennis or something like that. And suddenly you're thinking different. And that thinking different might lead you into suddenly being able to understand graphics or charts and tables or, you know, scientific graphs of math sure. equations. 
And then with the larger dots, we actually have a way to change your system. Um, so not only can you change the language, but you can change your system font um, so that you could portray information in, in different sizes of Braille or even in raised print. And so that hopefully could help anybody who had a sensitivity issue. These are all really great points. So, so what do we... So when we think about this Cadence system itself, the Cadence OS system, um, it runs on P – give us the platforms where you can actually load Cadence OS. Talk well, we, a little bit about that if you can. Yeah, so we have compatibility with, with pretty much most of the major OSs, and um, so the idea is that you would run that Cadence OS on a tablet, a computer, or a phone. Um, and you could be running, you know, Mac or, or Windows or what have you. That's um, great. And then whatever native system you're working on, you would have some other assistive technology likely. So you may have a screen reader. In the case of an iPhone, for example, you'd have voiceover. Um, as an example, we've, we've worked with all of these groups to try to provide interoperability, which is often a challenge. So um, we have worked with Apple on support for voiceover so that the device will be recognized by an iPhone as a Braille display. Um, interestingly, there aren't a lot of other Braille displays that we can see that use the BLE standard. Most are the older Bluetooth standard. So that sure. was an obstacle we had to overcome. But we wanted to make it so that whatever environment you have already, you're comfortable with. You mentioned things like uh, reading a book or taking notes. Well, why not use the tools you already have? to do that right um and you're absolutely with, so absolutely let me step in here for a second so in reading a book would you be able to use the large and the jumbo brown yeah exactly you can change mm -hmm. the system font and you can change the language uh to kind of accommodate we've experimented with a lot of different ways to do that um i'm sure there's room for feedback to tell us how to do even better uh one <laughs> of the things of course is as you enlarge the font you will take up more space on the cadence. So you may have four lines of Braille and normal size Braille, but you might have to live with only two lines if you go to the jumbo or the larger size Braille, for example, just because the dots are physically bigger. But if you're aging into or suddenly find yourself blind or low vision, um, you know, it's a great way to learn. And if you have the neuropathy, it's a great way to get back into reading. Um, I, I was impressed by the cursor. Could you tell us a little bit about the difference um, with the cursor on the cadence than um, traditional Braille notes? Yeah, and this is kind of a funny story because we experienced this uh, just today, Anthony, but I can't <laughs> tell you how many people I work with where they see they have a directional pad to move a cursor up, down, left, right. Um, they have a little blinky cursor, which is dot seven and eight underneath the letter that just blinks on and off or raises up and down. And they'll move the cursor to the right. They'll move it to the left. No problem. Then they'll hit the down button and suddenly they've lost the cursor, right? <laughs> and there's a little bit of a change because you haven't used a multi-line Braille display to understand, oh, wait a minute, I can go up and down as well. So you have to kind of reset your head. But mm. you can, in a spreadsheet, for example, you could move your cursor down to find the row that you wanted, then move it over to the right to find the column that you wanted, and then hit the select button and enter data in that cell or read the data in that cell. That's the kind of thing that we're going for with the cursor. And it's going to be so easy. Just looking at the overview of the spreadsheet, I, I was so impressed. So the cursor itself, um, it also gives you a tactile um, and a sound component. 
That's right. And we actually, uh, we named the unit the cadence partly because of the sound that the dots make as they as they change state or they refresh. And the reason that that's important is you have an awful lot of dots. Yes. You know, <laughs> you have 384 times four potentially. And so if something small changes and it's completely silent, you have no idea if anything actually changed. You're hunting all over trying to find it. So there's a, there's a subtle sound cue um, as that dot changes or moves that lets the user know, hey, something changed here. And in fact, our advanced users can even tell what part of the tablet changed sure. and then they can go and find that with their fingertips i can definitely see that and i i think another important thing to mention again just to reiterate dave that you talked about earlier you can have your hands on the tablet while it refreshes and it's not going to impact dots not coming up and i think that's yeah that's huge and and, and you know when we think about again multi-line braille displays um you know your hands can still be on the dots Yes. And that and was it's an not essential, gonna impact. it's not going to impact it. It was essential design characteristic. We had a number of fundamental things that we insisted on. And in fact, I, I have uh, many long discussions and, and angst with my partners over some of the technical features. But one of the things I insisted from the beginning is that we must be able to have the dots move under your fingers. And the reason for that is uh, one of my one of my other partners wanted to do animation. He felt that was vital to be able to do teaching and gaming and so forth. And I, I couldn't agree more. So there's no way to animate something if the dots disappear under your fingers and don't come back up. So as an example, I was showing Anthony, we have a the simplest game, which is called Ball. Very simple name. And it's just a screensaver. It's a little ball that moves around the screen and you track it with your fingertips but you wouldn't be able to do that if the dots didn't come back up. Right. Yeah. He was showing Gabriel an animation of how the wind pulls up on a wing of an airplane. And, you know, I got to feel it as well. And, and the, you know, you can follow along with your fingers as the animation is changing. And I've never experienced that anywhere else. And I just thought that was amazing. So if I can take us back, I, I just have one other question just to be clear. So, is there a way on the Cadence tablet itself to basically, let's just say that I'm out and about and somebody gives me a, their name and their phone number and I don't have my iPhone or my computer. I just want to write it down. Is there a way currently in the tablet to just make a note with it as a standalone device? So right now um, in Cadence OS, we have a note taker program called uh, Text Editor. I think it is okay. it's under the office menu for you to do stuff like that. Now, okay. one important thing, though, that I'll mention, as it stands right now, the cadence is meant to be paired with something else. For example, you have your iPhone in your pocket and it's paired sure. to the cadence in your other pocket. Mm -hmm. We don't have anything designed to work completely standalone. And part of the reason was we didn't want to add that complexity on top of all the other complexity. Sure. It's something we could add for future versions. But what we found in the field so far is that everybody already has an iPhone. And so they're saying, you know, I really don't need something that's standalone i'd rather have it paired to my phone so that all my data is stored that's through right. apple's cloud and i and we just don't have to think about it so that's and i totally agree yes and i and i and i think that's i think that's the right approach you know i think as as we think about note takers today with the braille sense and the braille note those kind of devices you know oftentimes three five six seven ten years they're out of date but when you're looking at a device 
you know, like the Cadence tablet, or you're looking at a Braille display or something like the Activator or the Active Braille by HandyTech, all those devices are working, you know, as Dave is mentioning, with the products that we already have. And I think that really is the direction that 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 we're moving toward. You know, you have a, a device that can that can pair to whatever you're using and 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 it just, you know, it, it makes it easier to just, you know, use the technology that we have. I mean, how often do we leave our cell phones at home? You know, hardly right. ever. Can you can you also mention a little bit, and I know it's a little bit off topic of exactly what we're talking about here with the technology. Talk to me a little bit about the pandemic and remote learning. I know that didn't that kind of tip you a little bit? That's right. With, and yeah, a, talk about that a, a little bit. Yeah, what a crazy time for all of us, right? Um, <laughs> as a matter of fact, I uh, I mentioned in the beginning, I'm a serial entrepreneur. Um, one of my other ventures is a, is a medical um, device. We we make a hands-free voice assistant for doctors and nurses. Uh, so what happens is the if the doctor may have his hands busy, uh, needs to ask a very detailed medical question, they simply speak it. The device picks it up kind of like an Alexa or a Siri. But instead of going to Google and giving you the result that you have toe cancer, because it's always what Google says, right? <laughs> um, it gives you the actual vetted proper medical information from a medical database that's been validated. So um, during the pandemic, I was actually going to all of the um, hospitals and deploying this because they were bringing nurses in uh, that were, you know, trained maybe in other areas that had to suddenly retrain and be able to deal with the COVID-19 patients. So I traveled to the COVID-19 ICUs, you know, I interacted oh. with doctors and nurses in all sorts of different environments, installing and, and setting these systems up. Um, and that really helped me understand something, which was even at hospitals, and you would think it's impossible, but even at hospitals, they shifted a large chunk of their staff to remote. And the pandemic changed the way that people work and learn and even live to some extent. Sure. So remote learning is just absolutely an essential component for kids in special ed. They got left behind because the interventions that typically would be given to them through let's say an IEP, they couldn't have those. There was no remote way to do Braille, for example, a real problem. So we decided based on that, there were there were two things that sort of stuck out to us in, in the pandemic. The first was that remote learning is really the essential component that the, a tech must support, which is why we designed the cadence the way we did. The second is that supply chain issues have to be avoided. And that was why we insisted on having our entire supply chain local here in the United States. And in fact, most of it's in the state of Indiana. If we have a problem with a component, I know the CEO, I drive over to this place, I sit down with them, we go look at the machine together, we figure out what the problem is. I can't do that if my facility is overseas and, and the product is sitting in a shipping container on a boat somewhere waiting right. to come at the port. So we didn't want to get shut down by those things. And with the remote learning, what we discovered is that because we store our content in the cloud, um, so we can update it automatically, we have our operating system automatically update by just going and getting updates off the internet. And the users store their information in whatever cloud they're already using, Google or Apple or so forth. It becomes very easy to do remote learning. We've had already schools doing that exact thing. 
you may have a, um, a state, for example, that has a group of teachers that are specialized as teachers of the visually impaired, let's say at the state school for the blind, there's a cluster of them. But you may have a lot of kids in a rural area scattered around that, that can't get to that school to do their Braille training. With sure. this system, the teachers have a force multiplier. They can Zoom with the student who's got a cadence on site and go through the Braille lessons that way. It's really kind of a miracle. You know, I remember, as I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, just quickly, I, I when I was five and, and, you know, learning Braille, I had to hop on a bus every day and travel two hours to a vision resource room. Every day of my life, four hours of my day, you know, and I think about where we are today and boy, how, how times it's just great to be where we are. Are you at all, (laughs) are you at all, um, let's just say that somebody wanted to purchase a device. Um, are you selling them at this point? Is it mainly through state agencies and how's, how's that kind of working? Yeah, I get asked that all the time. In fact, usually what happens is they come to visit someone and they they very quietly stick it in their pocket. Right. I won't notice, right? Mm-hmm. Um, well, here's our philosophy on this. Our first line of defense is to work to have a, a government agency, federal or state, uh, or a nonprofit foundation to subsidize this for the user. We want to be able to just give them to the user um, in the states that we've worked. And eventually we'll do all 50 states. Then the second line of defense that we have, okay, if that doesn't work, then um, we'll work on a way to get it to the user in an affordable fashion. So we have a financing program available with a partner, Easter Seals Crossroads, that allows visually impaired people to do low-interest, long-term loans. Been there many times. Yes, great organization. And the idea being, let's say you're on SSI and disability and, you know, you could afford maybe $100 a month or something. We don't want that to be a barrier to you. Um, And then the third is, okay, none of that worked and somebody just wants to buy it. How much does it cost? Well, what we decided when we built the Cadence is we want it to be comparable in cost to existing Braille displays on the market. And we have to start somewhere. It's been really hard and complex to get to where we are now. We figured if we at least started equivalent in cost, that's a pretty good starting point. Obviously, we hope to make it a lot cheaper down the road. But really, our intent would be you either get it through some sort of program or agency, or maybe you um, purchase it like you would your phone on a contract where it's paid over time. Okay. So I want to jump in for a minute. Um, sure. I'm going to ask a very you know, neophyte question. We talked a lot about the Apple iOS. You know, um, Is it fully compatible with Android? So we do have compatibility with Android. One of the things that we've been um, working on is is to uh, add some additional support for some of the Android tools like Brailleback. Um, and there's some complexities there technically that require us to have them, uh, the people that control the, the Braille TTY and the other drivers there make some changes to support our device. So we're in the works on doing that. Do you have um, an estimated time on, on when that would be fluid? Well, it's funny that you mentioned that because uh, we've run into this with Apple. We've run into it with NVDA. Um, we've run into it with Braille TTY and so forth. 
you know, we, we can submit our patch and ask nicely, right? And <laughs> then it's a question of whenever they get around to it. Absolutely. But I believe um, right now we're on target roughly around the end of the year for all, all of those platforms to um, be at the latest patch and latest version for support. So it's, it should be coming very soon. I also want to go back to the cradle to grave. Um, you know, there's a, a group of super users that are out there as technical support. So talk to me, let, let's do it in the form of a student. Talk to me, you know, the student gets a project where they have to create a graph based upon, you know, a series of information, um, you know, and they're stuck. So how, you know, what does the support mechanism look like for Right. So what we're doing now um, is per state, we're working through whatever support service ordinarily supports that student. Um, for example, in Indiana, that could be at the Indiana School for the Blind and Visually Impaired if they um, either are enrolled at that school or a part of the outreach program that that school serves. Or it could be through their local school district through their special ed teacher. So what we'll do is we'll actually have employees that will visit on site help with the setup and training of the trainers, so to speak. We train the trainers and then they take the support from there. So we try to give it to the teacher to be able to say, you know what, I would normally teach you how to draw a graph. I'm using this special tech, the Cadence system. I'm just going to teach you how to draw the graph using this system because it's pretty straightforward, pretty easy to learn. We also have phone and in-person support available. Uh, we have website um, support, email support. Our goal is that between what we can physically provide as our company and the agencies that we're working with, if you're stuck, you're not stuck for long. And what's funny, I have to mention this, we have quite a few uh, students who have become the master, so to speak. <laughs> so I have had a number of uh, students decided they would upgrade and uh, start creating their own content for the Cadence. And we have a couple of individuals that actually are working through our um, API to do some of their own apps and games. It's really been marvelous to see. So wow. Our, our eventual goal is that we, the, the community as a whole starts to make apps and this would function very similar to how the app store works on iOS where third-party apps would uh, become very commonplace. Wow. I'm, I'm thinking functionality and, you know, job specific apps that, that people would create that would be able to be shared. Well, awesome. I'll give you a couple examples, things we never would have thought of. Um, it turns out that ham radio was quite popular among the visually impaired yes, communities. So we had an individual that said, hey, I'd love to make a ham radio app so people could look at the frequencies and do all of the complex things that they do. Hey, more power to you. Please do. We'll be, we'd love to share that. Someone else asked us for a compass app. It's very simple. Uh, never would have thought of that. So they're working on a compass app. Uh, we had another person that really was into... Uh, the game uh, uh, of Sudoku and wanted to make their Sudoku app. So those are the kind of things that, you know, we hope the community will continue to give us ideas of what to do. So Mike, do you have um, any more targeted questions before we start opening it up to the audience? So when, we, when you mentioned Easter Seals, is that a national program? If there were someone who wanted to purchase the device, they do not live in Indiana. Um, is that a national program or a state program at this point? So Easter Seals does have a national program. They have a couple of um, things. They have a lending library per state that allows people to borrow technology to try it out before they do a purchase. And then they do have that financing program, and that varies a little bit state by state. Our first three states um, are Indiana, Ohio, and Alabama. And then we're working 
with probably about 15 others, Florida being high on that list, um, to incorporate uh -huh. them as well. So what I would say is if people contact us, we can figure out how to get them in touch with the right people at their state and see what we can do. I think it'll be a fairly short period of time before this availability would be in all 50 states. Well, again, I just want to say, Dave, you know, for you've you've done this for many, many years and um, hats off to you for the work that you've done and that you're doing. Um, I just think it's a wonderful thing that you're doing for the blindness and visually impaired community. And uh, I just want to thank you for all your work. Well, Mike, I, I, I deeply appreciate that. You know, um, it means a lot to get the feedback from people. I never get tired of visiting and working with individual consumers. This has been a very difficult journey. Uh, there's been a lot of uh, failure along the way. You cannot be an entrepreneur unless you're willing to have people say no to you. That is true. Lot. That is sure. true. But I'm just determined that we're not going to give up. We're going to see this all the way to the end, and we're going to solve this problem once and for all. And I have to give a lot of credit to my wonderful team. We just have really dedicated people, many of whom had never even thought about visual impairment before they came to work for us and have now chosen to devote themselves to this cause. So I will pass that on to the team. It's very meaningful. Thank you so much. Thank you, Mike. I really, really appreciate your expertise today. For everybody out there listening, we are um, going to make some introductions between um, the convention planning committees, uh, both nationally, of course, here in Florida. Um, and we're going to share the information with my counterparts at the NFB, because I do believe in, in um you know, getting the knowledge and, and experience out there in every form it can possibly be. So if that's any of your questions, um, we're trying to work on getting Dave and the Cadence in, in as many conventions this year as possible. All right, Marianne, <clears throat> first I'll ask how many hands we have currently. So far we have just one. All right, so that, let's take that first hand. That would be Janine. Hi. Um, Hi. So... Going back to something you said earlier, Dave, that um, really stood out to me about um, working professionals in their 30s and 40s who lose their sight, like Anthony and myself, I find I need jumbo braille. And I have gone with a traditional teacher and they it's very hard to get a Perkins that can type um, jumbo braille and i haven't found a braille writer that had a braille whatever machine they're called braille writers braille readers braille whatever none of them have jumbo and when i feel them the pins go down they're either plasticky or there's one that's really hard that i really like so it's been really challenging for me to learn braille one of the there's there's been two really good tools and i don't know if you're familiar with them so i wanted to ask how your product compares with them um so i don't know if anthony's wearing it but there's a rubber bracelet no and it has the do you have it i it, yes i can show it to him in a little while okay so <laughs> Okay, so I have a rubber bracelet and it has the whole alphabet on it. So when I'm at the store, I, I don't always wear mine either, let's be honest. But when I'm at the store or when I'm on a conference call or a meeting, I feel that and I can practice it because it feels like jumbo braille to me because the pins are the dots, the pips. I call them pips because I'm from the board game world and think of things in dice. But the pips are are hard and they don't 
they don't mush and you could feel them. And then the second thing is this thing from Plan B Toys. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but you can feel the consonant and then under it, there's Braille. And those are made, they're kind of like dominoes. So they, they're harder and they're bigger and I can feel them, but there aren't really other things. Like I bought, I bought all the Slayton styluses that I could and I tried to do it that way. And I tried with the thingy and the Perkins and there's not very many books in um, Jumbo Braille to practice with. Um, so, and you said earlier that you could keep it in your pocket and practice the letters, but then you said it has to be paired to something. So I wanted to clarify that um, oh, one, sure. like it being having to be paired to my iPhone and how draining my iPhone battery is. And if I have to leave that on as well as the uh, other. Jane, I think we got the idea wait, wait, wait. of your question. And then the second, how how hard are they and do they mush down? Okay. Yeah. Great questions. You're and then how me... can I buy one? Right. Well, I appreciate all those questions. You're giving me some flashbacks. I, I worked on a project many, many years ago to make Braille blocks that were called tactiles. I don't know if anyone's ever heard of those, but they were kind of like Legos that had Braille and they were meant for Braille instruction. And I worked mm. with the creator of that product to make some different types of tactiles for math and other types of Braille for kids to learn. So I'm awesome. a big, yeah, I'm a big fan of what they call manipulatives, which is what you're talking about. Um, you know, your rubber bracelet, your blocks, those are really helpful tools uh, to develop your sensitivity. And the rubber bracelet is double spaced. So your cells right. aren't bleeding into each other, which is amazing. So the idea is very similar with the cadence. You know, you can set those uh, parameters to sort of fit your need. In terms of the pocket usage, it does not drain mm -hmm. your iPhone battery. Um, you would only connect to it when the cadence is active and doing something. So there's very little drainage that happens. Um, you just simply have Bluetooth on, which you probably already do anyway on your iPhone. Mm -hmm. That the use case we have there, often people will put their iPhone in one pocket, usually their left. They'll put the cadence in their right pocket, and then they can be standing in line and reading stuff with their hand in their pocket, and no one even knows that they're reading something. Um, mm. It's actually kind of useful for meetings because you can have it under the table when, you know, maybe you're not <laughs> paying attention to the meeting, maybe you are, but it's, <laughs> it's not obvious either way. Um, and so I think. Uh, Hopefully that answers kind of the question about that use case or that that draining. Now, as far as the dots, <laughs> the dots are springy, but they will always come back up. So the amount okay. of resistance for the dot is almost exactly the same as the amount of resistance for a paper dot. So it's not completely stiff like a sign. It has a little bit of give to it, but it will never disappear on you. So you can feel it. One piece of advice I would give you that actually is, is counterintuitive but for people who are just starting with Braille and have sensitivity issues, as it turns out, the lighter that you touch, the more sensitive your fingers are. Yeah. And you have to kind of get used to this. But the way that the pressure transducers in our fingertips work is relative. It's not absolute. So the lighter mm -hmm. you touch, the more you notice the difference in the touch. So one thing you might try practicing with your bracelet is let yes. your finger glide over it with a very light touch and see if that helps to develop the recognition. And in terms of buying, tell me what state you're in. I'm in Florida. Okay. Well, we are working with Florida. So if you want to get me your contact information after the show, we'll, we'll pick up the dialogue and see what we can do. 
Yes, please. Thank you. And Anthony has my contact and I give him permission. And it's really great that you're working with neuropathy too, because I have neuropathy um, and I don't, it wasn't from diabetes. I have pseudotumor, um, intracranial, whatever. I always forget what my thing is because it's so long and it's so rare and it gave me neuropathy and I lost so much, but I'm really happy you have this. It sounds way better than those Braille devices that I was willing to spend $4,000 to buy to help me learn Braille, but they were very rigid and they, it just wasn't, I could, I could not practice my letters. So yeah, I, I really love this. Thank you for taking the time and spending 30 years to develop this for people like me who were working and lost their vision and then had couldn't read anymore anything print or braille so thank you well you're very welcome and I, I i will figure out a way to help you okay thank you so much i think the jumbo dot um like, like i said we had about an hour and a half to play with it i think the jumbo dot um would really help you all right mary and hey, we have area hands. code 518 yeah we have a lot of hands area code 518 hi 518 this introduce yourself beth. um this is mary beth and I live in Albany, New York, and um, I have two questions, actually. One easy and one, well, actually, both pretty easy. Um, first off, um, does the Cadence have any internal storage, and, and, and if it does, how much? And the second one, have you um, done much work with, with um, Braille music because of the multi-line display? Oh, Thank you. good question. Those are great questions. I'm really glad somebody brought that up. Well, first of all, on the storage, we actually um, do data storage on the cloud, so there's really no limit to the amount of storage, but that does require you to have an internet connection, uh, either through your cell okay. phone or, or through a computer. But the Cadence OS has its own cloud correct. access? That's correct, yes. Okay. Yeah. So if somebody takes down a phone number like you were talking about before, it goes onto the cloud? I'm confused. Sorry. That's right. Yeah, Cadence <laughs> okay. OS stores all of its data um, automatically. Some is stored on the host device and some is stored in the cloud. So you would okay. open up your note, your quick notes, your text editor, you type that number and it saves the state automatically. So it just remembers it. You don't have to even save the file or do anything. Just like your So iPhone. you can do a quick note, but you couldn't Correct. download a book and walk away with it. Am I right? Uh, the books, you can download them actually onto your local host device, or you can read them through mm -hmm. the cloud. You have an option there. And then you have the range of what, what is your Bluetooth range? Uh, well, actually, that's a funny story, and I want to get back to the music, but let me tell you a funny story about the Bluetooth range. So we we have a facility I mentioned to produce these, and there's a factory component, and then there's sort of some you know regular office area where we do more of the software and, and testing. And it is often the case that I'll be sitting hundreds of feet away in my office, and my unit will suddenly start displaying things <laughs> and I can't figure out what's going on. And that's someone on the factory floor is accidentally connected to my unit. Can't figure out why theirs isn't doing anything. So um, the range is pretty far um, on the music. It's such a great question. And we're really excited about getting into music. So we are currently working on a, a couple different things. One is um, I, the ability to display Braille music, obviously, would be tremendous for people to read sheet music and so forth. Uh, there are some really cool things out there for Braille music already. I, I know for many years I have been impressed with a, a company called Dancing Dots that makes a mm -hmm. Braille music yep. program. We'd like to be able to work with things like that to, to display the Braille music. And then the second thing, and I 
can't believe we didn't think of this, but we had a number of blind people mention it right away. They said, why can't I do music right on the device? You've got this device, you've got this display, you've got all these buttons. I want to just make music. So we're working on some apps. One is a tuner app, uh, a metronome that would allow you to tune and and um, and pace your instrument. And the second is actually just having like a little piano app on the cadence itself. We could play it like an instrument. So we're kind of excited about those in the works. Thank you. All right, Marianne, who's up next? We got Lisa, Lisa Brooks. Hi, Lisa. Welcome back to Sunday Edition. Thanks. Um, thanks for letting me ask my question. Um, you mentioned working with particular types of careers or softwares, Photoshop, people wanting to be in graphic design. Um, and I was curious if you were thinking along lines of either importing or working with different software. The, the one I'm thinking of mainly is like AutoCAD which is a lot of things that drafters and designers yeah, yeah. use, uh, interior designers and architecture, things like that. Um, if there would be like some relationship at some point down the road or something where you could make um, something like that to be more accessible. Thank you. Wow, Lisa, what a great question. So I'm really glad you asked that because I had forgotten to mention that. So again, I like to tell stories, so I'll tell one. We have a young man we're working with in Mobile, Alabama. He's just a remarkable young uh, man. He is a mechanical engineer and he works for Airbus, believe it or not, uh -huh. uh, as a blind individual. Um, obviously, he's really smart. So he uses the Cadence system, which um, he got through vocational rehabilitation, to communicate with his sighted colleagues who do AutoCAD and Fusion and all the different CAD software to communicate their drawings. And in fact, he can take a Zoom meeting and while on the Zoom meeting, his sighted colleagues may call up a diagram and he can simply mirror the screen on his cadence and then have an immediate tactile feedback to that diagram. Uh, and then he can even annotate if he wanted to or view their annotations in real time. So that's the type of communication that we want to pursue. We actually use a lot of the Autodesk products ourselves in our facility, and that's one of the content partners we are talking to is to see how we could make it even better than it is now. Same as with Adobe. We have some basic access now, but what could we do to make it even more efficient for someone with a visual impairment? And we would count on folks such as yourself to help us use that and tell us how to make it better because really nobody knows because nobody's done it before. So we have to kind of think of what to do. That's really awesome. Thank you so much. I want to follow <clears throat> follow up on Lisa's question for a second. What about actual videos that have graphics embedded in the video? So we're doing a lot of that with NASA right now. And as an example, we have a video player. Um, NASA videos are actually amazing for displaying the cadence because they're usually about astronomy and space. Mm -hmm. And usually it's a small white object on a large black area. Which, remarkably, stars kind of look like Braille dots. They kind of do. So we have um, a number of videos. I have one that shows um, the formation of the Earth's moon as a giant object impacts into the Earth and then creates two bodies that orbit each other, the Earth and the moon. We have one about the Luna spacecraft, which shows the orbit of it around the planets and the trajectory it takes. So those types of videos, we've done some stuff with Khan Academy, for example. There's a... Um, a, a group of interactive videos called FET Labs, which is used yeah. a lot for science and math. Right. 
um, you can actually interact with those in real time on the cadence. So we've been seeing a lot of math and science teachers utilize that. So that's that's exactly what we're going for. And it's not necessarily 100% perfect access, but it's instant access. And that's what we want to start is open the door, give yeah. you something instantly, and then we can customize we can, it to make and, it better. Yeah. What about um, real-time maps? That's actually one of the most popular things. Um, we're actually working on an atlas um, as we speak, and that'll become part of our cloud content. So one of the things that's really cool is that you can take a map, let's say, of a state, for example. You can see the outline. You can see the rivers, the cities, and so forth. But you can actually turn different layers on and off. You could have the rivers flow. You could turn on the, the topographical map. You could do Doppler radar. You can zoom in and see just a little tiny part of the coast. If we were looking at Florida, for example, we could start by seeing the entire peninsula and then zoom all the way in down here to Miami and the Keys. Yes. Um, and what about for something like, okay, say I want to go to the Museum of Natural History in Manhattan, which is a cavernous, you know, gallery after gallery after gallery. Could you do a representation, like a schematic of the building and then be able to build a route that way? Yeah, actually, that was one of the first use cases we did. We and we didn't talk about this, folks, by the yeah, way. Yeah, <laughs> we, uh, we actually entered into a contest a number of years ago um, that was sponsored by the EU. Uh, so we traveled to Luxembourg with our earlier uh, prototypes to compete in this contest, which was to design this multi-line graphics-capable display. Um, and we ended up getting the highest score at that competition, which was a real honor. Uh, but part of the use case there was to do exactly what you said, show a building schematic or a street map and and have a, a route that a user could follow to understand how to navigate around. So we're big believers in that. We've had a couple museums talk to us about building a fixed installation also, which is kind of a neat concept, yeah. almost like an art piece. But the idea would be that we would have a table sized version of this with dots everywhere that users could come in and feel maps and you know, maybe it's city maps or something really complicated or art in real time. And, and we didn't mention this, but as I showed you earlier with the image viewer, you can actually look at individual colors one at a time. Yep. So there's a lot of capability there that we'd like to explore with those museums and, and floor plans. All right, Marianne. Who's we have Hazel. Audio now unmuted. Yes, that's Hazel Fields. I have no Lord. I'm in Columbia, Missouri. And I was recently uh, taking a training class. Um, I'm, I'm hoping to get into ADA coordination. But um, a lot of the architectural I could not um, quite understand from the descriptions of the pictures. So I was wondering if this could be used like uh, if someone took a picture of a certain area, a building, building space, apartment complex, parking lot, whatever. And you could have, um, you could get the overall view. Could it be translated into a form where, on this where you could get the overall view, but also then sort of hone in on a particular area, say how many um, parking spaces, how wide they were, what was the gradient trend, you know, the difference uh, in, in a ramp from one level to another, uh, things like that. And not only to view it sort of tactily, but then to get the details of um, exactly how many feet or inches or whatever at the same time. 
Well, Hazel, that's an awesome question. Thank you for asking. I have to start by saying um, I actually go to Missouri quite a bit. Um, I've been uh, not only in the St. Louis, but also the Joplin and Springfield area. Uh, so possibly I could come and visit you sometime and we could try this out in person. But I'll just, uh, as I often do, okay. I will illustrate with a story. Uh, I, uh, we are very fortunate in the state of Indiana that our governor has allocated over $300 million to build a brand new high-tech campus for the Indiana School for the Blind and Visually Impaired, which is consolidating with the School for the Deaf and Hard of Hearing. Uh, it's a really amazing uh, act that he has done. And one of the even cooler things is that he hired a blind architect as part of the design firm to design the campus. So we actually have been starting um, to work with the Cadence to try to make those diagrams and, and exactly what you said, the architectural things accessible. What I'd like to do eventually is develop a customized app. Um, and so right now you can take the image of the architecture diagram and zoom in and explore it, overview and in fine detail. What you're talking about is also converting the print labels into braille that you can consume in real time. Right now, when you zoom in, it'll be in raised print. That is in the works for us and something that we we feel is important. You can imagine the complexity of the AI needed to do that. But I think if we can get to that point, which we hope to do soon, then you'll have a full solution for that particular iPhone has like iPhone has joint. Thank you so much. Oh, All right, Marion, who's next? I'd like yeah. to have one of these devices. <laughs> I think I think a lot of people out there are probably saying the same thing to themselves. Marion, who's next? We have Bryn. Hey, Bryn. Hey, hey. Um, I have two questions. Uh, my first question is, you know, I edit audio a lot. And uh, as you know, with editing audio, you've got these lines that go up and down and up and down. And the higher the line is, the louder the audio is. And, you know, people who can see, they can use those lines on the screen to, oh, I'm going to skip, you know, five minutes ahead visually and just look for any gaps, look for any big long gaps and then uh, put my cursor there and then and then edit them out. Um, or they can see the shape of certain words like um and uh, you know, you can sort of see um, what those usually look like and just kind of visually scan and go, oh, I think I, I think that might be an um, I'm going to skip to that and just see what that is. Um, whereas, you know, if you're blind, you kind of have to listen to the whole thing linearly and just every time you come across something, stop it, scrub backwards, select the audio and then delete it. Do you know if the cadence would be able to um, perhaps look at my Audacity or or Goldwave or Reaper apps um, and see those waves and give me some sort of tactile version of what sighted people can do? Well, Bryn, again, amazing question. I'm, I'm really glad you asked that. Um, so I'll first start with yet another story. <laughs> um, just a couple of weeks ago, I met a blind gentleman uh, in Indianapolis at a conference who was uh, a DJ. Uh, and, and let me just say, he was a heck of a lot cooler than I am. So you felt cool just being around him. <laughs> I would love to go to one of his shows, but he was asking almost the exact same question. So he utilizes tech, um, but has struggled with some aspects of it. Uh, I myself actually have been an amateur musician. Um, I had a studio built in my house. In fact, used Audacity and GarageBand and a lot of the major tools. And so this was one of the exact okay. use cases I thought of. Um, obviously, your graphic equalizer, your mixer levels, um, automation, 
uh, as you point out the cutouts or the ums and ahs, it is actually much easier to see them visually and target them than to listen through that audio um, linearly. So as it stands right now, um, the, I can tell you from my own personal experience, the cadence does indeed work in terms of the visual or tactile component of those that would allow you to see that graphical representation of the sound waves. That actually works pretty well because those um, software generally shows a very light colored wave on a black background. So that's picked up really well by the AI. What we'd like to do to take that a step further would be to work directly with the providers to, to tie into their what they call their API, their their software interface, so we could give you direct control over your sound editing. Great question. That would be really cool. Um, my second question is: You talked earlier about um, you know if you were to spill coffee on it or or drop it or something that it's modular and so um, <clears throat> it can be easily fixed. Um, so what happens? You know, if I if I break it, um, you know, or or it gets liquid in it, you know, what what happens? How do I how do I replace it or fix it? Sure. Um, so we have a couple different things. First, it's modular in two ways. You have more than one cadence often that you're using. For example, you might have two or you might have four. So if something happened to one of them, you still have three left or one left, depending on your configuration. So you're not completely down while you're waiting to get things fixed or replaced. The second is that inside the cadence, I mentioned we have our Braille modules uh, that compose the actuators that move the pins up and down. Those are replaceable. So let's say that you had that coffee spill and maybe um, one section of dots went out that can be opened and repaired, the bad modules removed and the good modules put in and closed up and you're, and you're ready to go. And that process is similar to the process of fixing a phone if you take it to the iFixit shop at the mall or something, it's, it's not difficult to do. Um, the third component is we actually designed this with service in mind. And the reason is when people use their fingers to feel a device, there is natural debris and oils mm -hmm. on the finger and they get into the holes. Um, that you're feeling. Now, many devices have those holes and pins directly connected to the actuator. We actually made that entire surface removable. So you can actually take that top layer with the pins and holes in it off. There's no active electronics in it and can be cleaned. You know, we've even run them through dishwashers and so forth. So the idea is that this whole product is serviceable. What we're doing per state right now is we're working with those agencies that I mentioned to train them on some of these service things. So in the event that you as a user have a problem, you just get a new unit to swap in and you're good to go. But then they take that old unit back and can refurb it by doing these simple repairs. And if for some reason that doesn't work, then it comes back to the factory and we refurb it there. And that process has been going pretty well so far. We, um, just to give you an idea, our replacement rate has actually been very low. These are pretty durable. Um, in fact, the most common uh, replacement we've had was at a school, which I won't give a name of, but we had the kids discover that they could um, start a fight with these. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm pretty sure they uh, have done that with other devices that they've had in the past too. So if you throw this around a room with a concrete floor, it might need some repair. I'll just put it that way. I, I will say it it is for the lightweight that it is, it's got a heft to it that that feels very solid. It feels very sturdy. And then with the feather tip, you know, touch of these moving 
it's a dichotomy that's very interesting to feel. It, you know, the device itself feels very solid, and then the moving dots are just amazing. I can tell you, Anthony, there is absolutely no leftover space inside that unit. <laughs> I would imagine. Um, it, it literally is a little bit bigger than I, I, I would say, like the SE models or the mini models of the iPhone um and and comparable in comparable in weight so you know when he was saying before if you're wearing a pair of baggy pants or a hoodie with the big you know you can be in there doing something and and pretending like you're paying attention to your lecture all right thank you Bryn Marion who's up next we have Daniel Gillen hey Dan welcome back to Sunday edition okay um sorry my audio's on now or no yes um yeah so uh I just wanted to say uh thank you for for the um for all of this uh, explanation of such a revolutionary product. And uh, I guess my main question first is, um, well, I'll say that as somebody who transcribes both uh, literary and music braille, uh, it would be nice to uh, be able to see multiple lines at once on a device. Uh, you know, as somebody who's blind, I use a 40 cell single line braille display. And uh, I guess I was wondering that um, on a device that, can only go 24 characters across in, in quartet configuration, uh, would, would one be able to pan over to the right-hand side of a wide document on, two, on, on that kind of um, configuration? Yeah, great question, Daniel. Um, I'm glad that you asked that. So yeah, in a quartet, you're looking at eight lines of Braille, 24 cells across. So we have mm -hmm. a, a number of different ways you can consume that content. The first is the pan, exactly what you said. So there's a, a button uh, where your right thumb would reside at the far right bottom corner of the bottom right cadence that you would push, and that would pan the view of the lines you're reading over to the other side of the page. Mm -hmm. The second is what we call um, hard wrap mode, where you mm -hmm. actually rewrap the text. And so you would, if you had, a let's say, a 32-cell braille line from the print book you're reading it would wrap it down so you would take a line and a half basically to view that line and then go on to the next line and then the third approach is what we call the reflow approach where we actually reflow the text um, and try to preserve some of the formatting just to fit in the smaller format so you've got some options on how you consume that oh yes well consume and, and i'm hoping that you know one would be able to uh edit uh the, those kinds of uh formatted BRF files uh, yes. without having to, or, or that one can edit them as, you know, on the computer, but having the cadence display right in front to be able to view the lines and select the different coordinates, like say on line yeah, three, character 12. Really comes in. That's um, it exactly. Yeah. And I appreciate you bringing this up, Daniel, because I didn't talk about this. So let's take the example of that BRF and you're editing it as a transcriber. Um, and boy, I can relate to you because I spent many days transcribing myself. It's a, it's a challenging task. So um, what you would do in that case is you have a couple different options. One option is that you can use the keyboard of whatever your host device is to type in um, ASCII or regular characters. The second is you can use the cadence as a Perkins direct entry. So you position the cursor where you want it and then either insert a character or overwrite the existing character we have actually a select um, copy paste tool as well that you can use just like you would in a word processor. The other thing that I didn't mention, but in the case of you drawing some sort of graphic or maybe in, in a braille uh, transcription, you're making a box or mm -hmm. something else. 
we actually have a Perkins literal mode. So when you're com composing a graphic, you can actually use all eight keys to type mm. whatever combination of dots you want, literal. And so if well. you type dots one, three, and five, you'll get dots one, three, and five to appear. And you can draw pictures that way if you're uncomfortable using a stylus or you're yeah. doing something like a braille box, for example. Yeah, well, that would be perfect for, I guess, one of my great hobbies that I've had for years is um, braille cartography, doing lots of braille maps on uh, Perkins Brailler. And, you know, just literally using dot combinations to make different shapes within that diagram. Wow, I would love to have you make some uh, some of those maps for the cadence. That's a great. We should talk more. Yeah, and perhaps they would be all you know fused together. I guess the dot seven and eight fill in the space yeah. between the two lines, which, right. which is makes for the uh, contiguous uh, vertical. That's correct. I guess yeah. not so much on the horizontal because I know like the this the the monarch is the other big product under development, and my understanding is they have a like a three column braille cell, uh, simply to have a gap there, but so that graphics can have equidistant dots all over, something like yeah. that. I know it sounds it's a it's a little different, but yeah, all that's right. It. Thank you, Dan. Uh, Marion, how many more hands do Just we have? one, Anthony. All right, we have um, Sirku. Hi, Sirku. Hi, it's been very interesting. Sorry, my uh, English is not my native language. <clears throat> I'm a Finnish Finnish woman, so uh, apologies for that. And I might have a stupid question, but anyway. <laughs> um. So I was just wondering. Uh, because it was the USA and you can draw graphics. Uh, and I was thinking about students that uh, study different languages, like that have different alphabets, like Greek and uh, Russian and Arabic. So uh, can can these be like accessible for like to read text in, in these languages? Yes. Great question, Sirku. Thank you. Um, I must tell you, my grandparents are Finnish. Uh, they moved wow. from Finland to Sault Ste. Marie, Michigan. Yay. <laughs> uh, I guess they like the cold. <laughs> so I visit them in the summer. Great. Welcome. But uh, your question is a great one. So we support any Braille language that is supported by um, Liblui which is an open source Braille engine. So first of all, on the Braille side of things, we can we can, can support any language there. And then on the raised print side, you could support any raised print alphabet. We don't have a font for some of the languages you mentioned, but you could simply use that screen mirror mode to show the raised print that existed you know, on the host device. And if you have a particular language you would like us to add the font for for raised print, we can do that. I was just thinking about like you said remote teaching, remote education, and like students on Zoom, so the teacher could show show the shape of the of the letter, the alphabet. Is it a great idea? Yeah. So, Circle, I'm going to ask you to pause for a moment. We're going to um, wrap up, Thank and you. then we can finish conversation once we go off the stream. Dave, um, give them the website and any contact information that you'd like to give. Sure. So the website is tactile-engineering.com. That's T-A-C-T-I-L-E-engineering.com. And you can email me at dave at tactile-engineering.com. 
All right. I want to thank Mike Tyndell for uh, co-hosting with me today. Um, Mary Ann, Bryn, and Herbie for working in the background. Dave, of course, for coming to Miami to do this in person and letting me get my hands on the device itself. And uh, we'll be back next Sunday with another great show. Have a great week, everyone. And again, Rob Hill, 5 o'clock tonight. Look for uh, the posting on the ACB list. You've been listening to Sunday Edition on ACB Media. Stream one. That's American Council of the Blind Media or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Episodes drop every week at 1 p.m. on Sundays. And you can email us at Sunday Edition AC, all one word, Sunday Edition with the letters AC at gmail.com. Let's brunch again together next Sunday.